everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name is Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, babe. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. We are a weekly true crime podcast. It comes to you every Sunday around 9 a.m., you know, maybe a couple minutes before, a couple minutes after. Depends how close we are. But uh, we appreciate you joining us. Welcome to the table. We want to make it kind of sound like we're sitting around a coffee table, you know, enjoying a nice little beverage and then telling a story of somebody uh, we probably most likely lost, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, welcome. So, uh, if you really love what you're hearing, um, come and stop by Patreon and uh, throw us a couple shekels. Patreon. Right? Oh, Patreon. And become a patron. <laughs> Throw us a couple shekels. Uh, it's uh, You can see the link in our show notes. But it uh, starts out like as little as five bucks. Easy for me to say. <laughs> like That's you my line, Mike. Yeah. And uh, you can go ahead and become a patron. Um, you can get access to up to 30 different bonus episodes. Yeah. And we have some things in the works that we're looking to release soon. But we're not yet there. Ooh, so you'll have to just stay tuned. It's very exciting. Very just exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. A little, another little bonus. So... Good stuff. But um, yeah, what's going on this week? Uh, well, our son got his driver's permit yesterday. He so that's did. that's big news in our household. Yeah. Our 15-year-old, it's like impossible for me to even imagine that he could drive a car. Yeah, yeah. He's just a big doofus, you know, um, just like all a teenage boy. Male teenagers you are. Know? <laughs> yeah, he's it's just walking like, around. I, he can't flush the toilet, but apparently he could drive a vehicle. And he can pee. Most of his pee gets in the toilet. Most of it. I'd say definitely not all. Yeah, over 90%. Hence the reason why our daughter has relocated to the back guest room bathroom. She's like, I will not use this bathroom anymore. And it's I'm disgusting. like, I don't blame you because it looks like a wild monkey and then uses this bathroom. His automatic toothbrush has this like goo all over it just like from the toothpaste and the ick that's in your mouth i'm like you're just like a wild animal oh it's so gross man i mean (laughs) yeah boys are gross i agree it being a boy um but man this is just another level i'm like we're gonna have to work some things out so that your future wife doesn't hate me yeah that's the idea like what did did you raise a wolf so we can get out of the home you know we want to make it (laughs) obvious uh, you know him available to somebody but i'm very proud of him because you know he had to do like hours worth of work to get to the point where he's got his permit and a lot of his friends haven't done it yet so you know it's he's a go-getter in that way so i'm proud of him he doesn't flush the toilet but he does a lot of things right and we specifically asked him if he took both tests because there's a drug and alcohol test and then there's like a driving rules test and we're like you took both he's like yeah 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 we got there and the lady's like yeah the rules test was never taken and i'm like oh he's like you never told me i'm like well one it's not my responsibility (laughs) to tell you you're supposed to i mean you can have the same access to the same internet that i do and you see the the needs that are needed and I get it, you know, he's young. But, but then he passed it. He took it in the store or in the place and passed it. Yeah, he did great. So it's going to be interesting. Mike's going to take him out driving today. So that's really what's going on here. We did a haunted house the other day. That was fun. One more thing. I, when we walked out, I'm like, all right, here's the keys. There you go. Yeah, and he was like, you, I, you know, he believes everything I say. He's kind of you know, like that. And he was just like, what? And I'm like, no, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> that's just the thing I was saying, because you were going to maybe take him today. And I'm like, he can't just like go out on the road right now. Well, it's funny that you say that. I'm like, oh, yeah, because I was planning on going on the expressway. Just going well, and taking yeah, you know, I, I have to say these things Well, because I'm not going to be around today, Mike, because we're taking out the second mortgage. I'm getting my hair done. Oh, so, thank you for all the feedback. We had some yeah. good feedback on Instagram and stuff last week. And uh, it appears that we're kind of like in the... I mean, you know, we're definitely 
you know, some people spend less. Some people spend more, like you, a lot more. A lot more. Uh, there's people that say, you know, plus coloring. And it's like, yeah, it seems like coloring is the biggest oh, part of your that, bill. that's the bulk of my bill. Yeah. So my stylist actually listens to this podcast. So oh. shout out to Megan. Megan. She gets it. Thank you for taking so much of our money. Well, <laughs> it, it's well-deserved. Not that you're taking it. No, but. yeah. She's a talent. Because, I mean, Allison, when she goes in, ugh, not so nice. Not so pretty. She comes out, man alive. She's a, she's a magician. Yeah. It's only for a day, though. Then you shampoo. And then it's back to shit. <laughs> you used to like going out like when you had your hair done. Well, right. Because they do my hair like, I can't do that crap. No. So I'd be like, let's go out and get some dinner or something. Let's go to Chili's. But today I am going out. I'm going to see the Taylor Swift Eras movie tour. That's exciting. Super Eras exciting. tour movie. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it's You're a three hour movie yeah. of Taylor Swift. So... Yeah, our daughter's pretty pumped. I've got my T-Swift bracelets going. I made two of them myself last night, and so then, I'm pretty cool. You're supposed to give them to people? You're supposed to, I guess, trade. To other people? Just a- random? Apparently, okay. yeah. That's what well, people do. Let, let us know how it goes. I'm really excited mm, for yeah, that. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I want to say a couple things before we get started. I want to say uh, thanks so much to a couple listeners. Um, let's see here. Uh, Chelsea sent us some coffee uh, from her roastery place that she works at, Greater Goods Coffee in Austin, Texas. So I French pressed a little bit of that today, and uh, it's delicious. Uh, it's got a nice, like, fruity uh, tone to it. It's a uh, light roast. And coffee drinkers out there, did you know that light roast coffee has more caffeine in it than dark roast coffee? Yeah, you would think it'd be the opposite, but I guess... I don't know why. Yeah, it's I don't know scientific. why you think that, but... Anyway, it was delicious. It was very smooth and yummy. So we so appreciate you guys. All of our listeners out there, and you guys are the best. Yep. Thank you so much. And one more thing. Uh, another listener, Jackie, she set up a Facebook page uh, for Crime and Coffee Couple. So we don't use Facebook much, but I'm going to get on there now and uh, go check it out. So there's only like a couple of followers. I think it's brand new. So go check it out. I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you, guys. People are so thoughtful. Yeah. So much nicer than I am. Uh, that's for sure. I'm not a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We can't all be perfect, right? So, so if you're ready, I am. I'm ready. Let's All do this. All right, let's get into this. So this is the murder of Stephanie Scott. So on April 5th, 2015, 26-year-old Stephanie Scott was only six days away from marrying the love of her life of five years. And this was 27-year-old Aaron Leeson Woolley. Since she was going on a honeymoon after the wedding, her she being a teacher, decided to use her free time to get her classroom ready for the substitute teacher who would take over for her while she was gone on her honeymoon to Tahiti. So it was Easter Sunday and Aaron was out of town for the weekend. So she decided to use her time wisely. She spent the day at her school in Riverina, South Wales, to map out a lesson plan. She let herself into the locked building using her passkey, and before she got to her tasks, she texted her fiancé, Aaron, at 11 a.m. and just let her know, hey, I'm at the school, I'm you know catching up on some work, just in case you come home from your trip early and I'm not there, this is where I am. So at that moment, she would have absolutely no way of knowing that the text would later help investigators track her whereabouts after a very sudden and exceptionally tragic turn. So Stephanie was born on October 14th, 1988 in Sydney, Australia. So actually today would be her birthday, oddly enough. Happy birthday, Stephanie. So she was born in Sydney, Australia. And by 2015, she was an energetic and adored drama teacher at Leeton High School. She was born to parents Bob and Marilyn Scott and had two sisters and two brothers. Aaron had left town on Friday the the 3rd. He gave his fiancée a kiss goodbye before heading out for a farewell party for a friend in Conondra, is the town that he went to. 
So this was about three and a half hours away. And of course, as he's saying goodbye to Stephanie, in his wildest dreams, he wouldn't have realized that it would be the last time he would see her alive. You know, getting married is very exciting. It's like you're just waiting for your life to start officially together. I remember our engagement and just building up to that moment of celebrating our relationship and just officially really starting our lives. Yeah, it's it's the maiden voyage of every like the rest of your life, really. You and, know, and even though we'd been together for years before that, it's just like, all right, now we're like official. Right. <laughs> like we're in the books, like this is a thing. It's no easy out. There's no breaking up or whatever. It's just like now we gotta work on this no matter what. Yeah, so they're in this this moment and the like the most exciting part of the relationship, and all of a sudden this horrific thing happens that nobody in a million years could have ever imagined. So that morning, when Stephanie went to the school that day, she parked her red 2010 Mazda 3 on Myrtle Street, and one of her colleagues who lived nearby walked with her to the school gate. So it sounds like it wasn't Stephanie's keys that she used to get into the building. It was her colleagues. So she basically took the keys. She unlocked the gate. After Stephanie went through, she closed and locked the gate behind her and headed into the English teacher's staff room. One of the sources I read said that she was both a drama and an English teacher. So she's in her office. She's sitting at her desk. She worked for two hours and 40 minutes before she planned to head home and finish up any last minute wedding details because she was in the last home stretch. So at dinner time, you know, it's rolling around. It's Easter Sunday. Stephanie's parents, Marilyn and Bob, began to worry when she didn't come home. So they tried to call her to no avail. And then they set out to look for her. In the meantime, Aaron was also trying to reach her without success. As he drove home from his weekend away, he continued to call Stephanie over and over, but each and every time it went straight to voicemail. When one of his calls ended in a pre-recorded message indicating that her mailbox was full, Aaron had this sinking feeling that something just wasn't right. Yeah, everybody's leaving messages, obviously, trying to look for her. So Aaron arrived home at around 7.20 p.m., and he continued to try to text and call Stephanie, but again, there was no answer. There was no reply. He drove around the area. He drove past Leeton High School. Her car was nowhere to be seen, so he started to think maybe there was some sort of change of plans, and you know, you try to make up reasons why she's not there. He's thinking maybe she got a hold of a friend and decided to spend the night at her house sounds like aaron's an optimist right and it's like is this like stephanie would stephanie just go and spend the night at a friend's house and not tell anybody no but your mind wants to believe that version rather than the fact that something bad could have happened for sure nobody wants to believe that so the next morning she still hadn't responded to his calls or texts so at 4 30 p.m on monday april 6 aaron went to the police station to report stephanie missing So authorities were speculating that maybe Stephanie could have gotten a case of cold feet and left on her own volition to clear her head before the wedding. Her parents were assuring investigators that this would absolutely not be the case with her daughter. She was a very responsible, considerate person that would never just go away and worry her family like that. It just wouldn't happen. And, you know, we're now on this day, five days away from her wedding. Her family is coming into town. People are getting all the last minute things ready. Her sister was like doing the place settings for the tables. 
Stephanie wouldn't have done that to them. And, you know, I wonder if any police listen to this. Um, if Do do all people say that? Like, no, this isn't like them. And even it, it turns out it is them. You yeah. Know, it's like, yeah, they did go away. Yeah, I'm of sure course. police hear that a lot. Sure. But just like I listened to, I watched Dr. G, medical examiner, and when they suspect that somebody died of a drug overdose and the whole family is like, no way, no how. And lo and behold, the toxicology, toxicology comes back to say otherwise. So, of course, we want to believe the best in people. Sure. But, you know, in this case, Stephanie wouldn't have done this. So also, Stephanie was beyond excited to be marrying the love of her life. They were convinced that she would never have thrown this all away on a whim. So, I mean, speaking of the fact that she was at the school getting ready for her honeymoon, you know, it's just it doesn't add up. No. So police conducted a find my iPhone triangulation on Stephanie's phone, but it was turned off or not working. They weren't able to track her that way. So her bank account had no activity since she uh, shopped earlier that Easter morning. She had no social media activity. Her last known activity was at about 12.59 p.m. on Sunday afternoon when she sent an email from the school computer to a bus company that arranged transportation for her wedding guests. So that's the last thing they could see that she did. So as investigators continued to gather information about Stephanie, they did start to agree with the family that odds are something happened here. So they spoke with Aaron, who informed them of Stephanie's text, and thank goodness she did send that, because otherwise they may have been searching blindly. So, of course, they're going to start at the school and, you know, begin their investigation there. So that Monday, April 6th, officers headed to the school to retrace Stephanie's footsteps. Her classroom was inspected. The alarm system showed that Stephanie disarmed the system at 1.31 p.m., she rearmed it at 1.38 p.m. In the meantime, her family spoke with the local media about her disappearance. One theory was that maybe she got into a car accident because, of course, her car is nowhere to be seen. Right. And maybe she was unable to reach help. So their goal was that if somebody saw something, they could help find her. So yeah, that's maybe why it's in the water somewhere, whatever, you know, some, you can't see it easily. Exactly. So they're trying to reach out to the public. If you saw this red car, you saw something happen, please reach out. So after police spoke with school officials, they learned that there was a custodian named Vincent Stanford, and he had likely been in the building at some point that Sunday. Uh. So, of course, police are making arrangements to sit down and speak with 24-year-old Stanford, hoping that he might have some information about Stephanie's movements while she had been there working. Yeah, you just, know, did you he, see her? Did you say hi? What time was that? So <laughs> right. we can get that timeline down. Narrow down when she may have left or, you know, whatever. So when they spoke with Vincent, he apologized but indicated that I really am not going to be of much help. I hadn't even seen Stephanie there while I was working. He said he spent very little time at the school over the weekend. Instead, he used his time to focus on his hobby of photography. He said he had only taken a break to stop at the grocery store. And then he backed up his claims. He told the police which store he had actually shopped at that Easter Sunday. So when police stopped by the store, of course, they're going to track that down to be accurate. They learned that the store was closed in observance of the Easter holiday. Mm. Well, there's some uh, red red alert there. So now Stanford's suddenly becoming the focus of the investigation. Oh, I said it once, said it a million times. Thank God for idiot uh, criminals. Completely. So they asked him if they could see the photos that he claimed to have been taking on the day in question. He handed over his cell phone without hesitation. So police are scrolling through his phone, looking at the pictures that he said he took. And they see a 
two images of what they believe to be smolder a smoldering human corpse. Oh, my God. So, and I'm not sure at what point they actually saw these photos, but they did see them. Well, so, one, it's crazy that Vincent would just hand over his phone, and uh, maybe he didn't, I don't know, whatever. And also, like, photography, you're probably using, like, a real camera. You, you know, Would not, you really be shooting these, you know, professional photos on your iPhone or whatever? I mean, yeah. I, maybe. I don't know. So, but like you just said, why would why would he voluntarily hand it over knowing those images were there? Ah, thank God for morons. And, you know, it, thank goodness that this happened on a holiday because otherwise that grocery store would have been open yeah. and he could have gotten away with this. Right. So when he was questioned about these gruesome photos, he said he had simply taken them from a horror movie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So they also noted that he had scratches on his forehead, his arms, under his eyes, and on the bridge of his nose. He explained this away as having run into a tree branch earlier that week. Detectives then placed him under arrest. The next day, police issued a search warrant for the home that Stanford shared with his mom and his older brother, Luke, in the town of Leeton. In his bedroom, they found a hidden pair of blood-stained handcuffs and a red bra that was later identified as belonging to Stephanie as well as a set of keys that she used to get into the school. Okay, so, I mean, this is a slam-dunk case mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's... I, I can't understand why there's more to this story. Like, this sounds, like, pretty open and shut. Right. So, when his computer was searched, they discovered videos of women being subjected to sexual violence. Despite the growing evidence, Stanford was maintaining his innocence. So, you know, that's really interesting about sexuality. You know, it's, it's one of those things that... You can't really control what you're into, and I I know that there's a good portion of people that are into, you know, like slight violence with like, you know, safe words and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's... But the whole thing is, whatever you're into, if it's consensual and right. you're into BDSM or whatever, yeah. that's fine. Right. But this is something completely different obviously if you need like this kind of stuff you got to seek help immediately before yeah. you do something bad and you'll learn m- way more about vincent so the knife that he had even used in his attack of stephanie was also found in the home so vincent stafford Sorry, r- real quick i was drinking some coffee but that is the best i love when they find the smoking gun the knife the whatever it was like mm-hmm. this guy is a Great a moron like right. i mean as far as maybe he wanted to be caught and if so then the, he, he did a great job of laying everything out no i don't think it was that he wanted to get caught i think he was so pompous that he truly thought that he was just going to get away with it and that's one of the beauties of like narcissism mm-hmm. right that, that, that he thinks no they're not gonna my story is good enough uh they'll, they'll just yeah you know, i'll say i have nothing to do with it they'll be fine and that'll be the end of it <laughs> oh, what a dipstick yeah so just a little background on vincent vincent stanford was born on december 21st 1990 in Tasmania. In addition to having an older brother that he lived with at this time, he also had a twin brother named Marcus who lived in South Australia. He started his five-week relief position at Leeton High School where he was working at the time that Stephanie was killed. He started there on March 2nd, 2015. The position was actually set to end on April 2nd, which was three days before Stephanie disappeared. So in a tragic turn of events, he extended his contract at that school, which led him to be in the building on the day that Stephanie just happened to be there getting ahead of her work. It's crazy how that can be. So they extended it. It sounded like he moved around to various schools, you know, and he'd never really been a problem. His background check came out clean. So on Thursday, April 9th at 9.30 a.m., authorities found Stephanie's abandoned car, but there was still no sign of her. 
Investigators were able to use Stanford's cell phone to track his movements from Sunday when Stephanie went missing. The information led them to a remote area where they believed they would eventually find Stephanie's body. So on Friday the 10th, Stephanie's laptop was found um, because a witness had actually called police. They said that they saw the car that matched Vincent's pull up to this area. It was an irrigation canal. So, that you know, they're doing their work out there. They're watching this guy because, number one, cars don't normally just stop in that spot. So they're, they're keeping an eye on what he's doing. So he pulled up on Easter Sunday at around 3.50 p.m. and threw what looked to be a laptop into the water. So this area was three miles away from where Stephanie's car was actually found. At 5 p.m. that day, April 10th, divers actually found Stephanie's uh, charred remains in addition to the laptop they pulled from the canal. So just so sad. Poor thing. So they found her remains in a remote area where, of course, his cell phone was tracking him to be, and this was Kokopara National Park. At this point, Stanford gave a full confession. He was caught. There was was no going back on this. <laughs> There's no way around this, man. You're, you're, thank goodness you're an absolute idiot, and we have everything we need. Right. So. And I watched his confession, and it was so disturbing. He sat across from two detectives answering their questions as if he was telling them how he brewed his morning coffee. I mean, bizarre. Mm. So he... Gave There's no the, feeling or anything, just kind of, I mean, yeah, I mean, a killer's probably not going to be like, I'm so sorry I did it. You know, he's he's a psychopath that, you know, he gets off on this stuff. So he's just like, yeah, so first I did this, and then I took right. her hair, and blah, blah, blah. I and mean, it was like, he dead. was like almost proud of the story he was telling. Mm-hmm. And the story that he did tell showed that tragically, Stephanie's last moments were those from a nightmare. So what he's saying is that, The moment he saw Stephanie sitting in her classroom alone that Sunday, he knew he was going to kill her as soon as he laid eyes on her. That's so freaking scary, man, for like anybody out there. It's just if you're alone in a place like that, it's... And it's sad. It's sad that a teacher can't go into her classroom. She locked the gate behind her. Right. She went into her classroom in a building on Easter Sunday, assuming she was going to have some quiet time to get her work done. Yeah. And this lunatic just happened to be in the building. Had he had any priors? Are you going to get no, into that? Oh, nothing. Because so, you do a background check. You know, you do the best you can. And it's like, no, he's clean. Okay. Right. And but there's a first time for everybody. We can't do a background check on the thoughts that people are having. Yeah. And you'll see that there was major, major things going on in his head for a very long time. Mm. We'll, we'll talk more about that. So he had never met Stephanie before. He had not known that she was going to be there that day. Of course he didn't. Since he didn't know how long she would be there, he knew he would need to work quickly. He rushed home to his mother's house to collect the tools that he needed for this exact occasion. And within the hour, he came back to the school with what he referred to as a rape kit. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, These people are the scum of the earth. So he comes back to the school with his kit, and he's just now waiting for Stephanie to wrap up her work and get to leaving. So as she did do this, she's walking towards the exit. She smiled at Stanford and told him that she was leaving. Before she reached the door, she cheerfully wished him a happy Easter. So when Stephanie turned her back to leave, Stanford grabbed her from behind, and she began to kick, scream, and claw at him as he dragged her into a small storage room that had once served as a photography darkroom. Once inside the small room, he punched her in the face multiple times, knocking her to the floor. 
He then secured her hands using handcuffs, and these are the ones that they found in his room. He then brutally raped her, which was something that he had always fantasized doing. So he explained that when he finished, he struck Stephanie with such force in the head for another 30 or 40 times is what he just casually told detectives. 30 or 40 times. 30 or 40 times. That's horrific. And then he finally plunged a knife into her neck. Oh, my God. When he was sure that she was dead, he drove home and he enjoyed a cheese sandwich and coffee with his family. He returned to the school later that evening and placed Stephanie's body into the trunk of her car and thoroughly cleaned the blood from the storage area where he murdered her. He drove her car to his home, believing that he had truly just committed the perfect crime. That was his thoughts. And that's why he didn't think he was going to get caught. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect crime as long as we have mobile devices and also get rid of the the knife and stuff. You know, I'm not trying to like. No, we I'm don't want to decide. encourage no. uh, criminals to get away with murder. But I mean, We're happy that they make these mistakes. Yeah, I mean, by all means, if you're going to plan on or if you already did something, keep all your things as close as you can to yourself. That'd be great. So when he arrived to his house, he parked Stephanie's car behind the shed so that Stephanie's car would be hidden from the road. He then walked himself back to the school to get his own car. Afterwards, he headed home to get a good night's rest. So early the next morning, he drove the 43 miles to Kokopara National Park, where he took Stephanie's body out of the trunk and placed it on the ground. He removed her clothing and placed them in a backpack along with a sun visor from Stephanie's car and a sheet of plastic that he had used to line her trunk with. He covered her with kindling and got ready to start a fire using five gallons of gasoline. But before he did, he removed her graduation ring and her cherished engagement ring. He took her driver's license to hinder her identification in case her body was found. He then drove her car back to his house so that he could change his clothes, and then he discarded her car near the canal on Pike Road where it was found. So the next, he met his mom at the store at 7.30 a.m., and he drove around Leeton, discarding Stephanie's belongings and various garbage cans along the way. These items were never recovered, but the sun visor and other items from her car were found in a garbage can at the corner of Banna and Jordan Avenue. I'm sorry, Janarian Avenue. So after he started the fire, Stanford drove Stephanie's car back to Leeton, and when he was four miles from home, he pulled over, and that's where he left his her Mazda in the field where it was just found. So police spoke with a group of Boy Scouts who happened to be cap- camping in Kokopara National Park, and they provided police with a photo that they took on Wednesday, April 8th, 2015 at 5.34 p.m. Hmm. So they just happened to be camping in the area of the park. And this was two days after he had actually burned Stephanie's body. So police, of course, are asking him, why were you back at the park? Because the, the photo clearly shows his car leaving the area of the park. So he told detectives that he had gone back because he just wanted to see if she was still there. He thought maybe the wildlife had taken her. So it was at this time that he took the two photos of her burned body that police later saw on his cell phone. That he gave up to the police when they asked him. handed on over. (laughs) So when investigators questioned what drove him to such a senseless and horrific act, he simply replied that he had no choice. He said that he had been fighting such an urge since age seven and indicated that he was amazed that he had actually held out as long as he had. 
He explained that he was so obsessed with the thought of murder that when he saw Stephanie that day, he couldn't have stopped himself even if he had wanted to. He said when he woke up that day, he never had any intention or thoughts of harming anyone. But since he saw Stephanie in the school by herself, he thought he had to take advantage of such a situation. It was just like it activated the Mm -hmm. part of him. Right. It was like poor Stephanie was just in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. It's just so unfortunate. It's uh, and somebody like that they can't control it i mean that you can i'm not trying to no you're not rationalizing what he did i'm just feeling lucky that i don't feel anything like that you know anybody like we have to realize that how lucky we are not to have these urges you know of murdering and hurting and all this horrific stuff like man that's it was in him since seven since age seven that's that's crazy So an autopsy was done on April 13th, 2015, and found the direct cause of death was actually blunt force trauma, because again, he had struck her about 40 times. Uh, 30 or 40. 30 or 40. And the way that he said it, though, they're asking him like, okay, so what did you do that? He's like, oh, I I did this. I punched her in the face 30 or 40 more times. It's like to punch somebody that many times. That's a lot. many times. I mean, talk about a person full of such rage. Mm. So her right eye had been fractured. Her nose had been fractured. There were also two stab wounds to the side of her neck. But of course, those that wasn't the cause of death. I mean, it's just so brutal. Oh, man. Just like being part of Stephanie's family, you'd want to watch <sighs> this guy burn alive like in a town square. Just Unbelievable. Because like, he's obviously sick and demented, and he'll do this again. Like that's part, that's part of who he is. So unless you give him a lobotomy or something, this is going to happen again. Yeah. I mean, he has to stay either behind bars or be killed. So he did tell detectives. He's like, I there was no stopping me. Yeah. Absolutely no stopping me. And I think maybe even a part of him would agree. Be like, I if I'm if I'm let out, it's probably going to happen again. Right. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, that's really what he's saying. So he said that his vicious attack on Stephanie helped him release these frustrations that had been bottled up inside him for years. He basically convinced detectives that he had he not been captured, just like we said, he was absolutely capable of killing again. Now that the monster had been released, there was no going back. So he's basically begging detectives to just put him away and not let him out because he will do it again. You know, there's a smidge that's like, Man, poor guy. Like, he's living with it. Oh, I mean, I mean, there's a monster inside him. Yeah, and he knows it, and he's kind of afraid of it. And I know by no means is Are what we he having did. sympathy for yeah, this guy? Please don't hear it as that. Not it's, at all. Stephanie absolutely did not deserve any of this. She deserved to go on her honeymoon and have a great and time. And live the rest of her life with the love of her life. Yeah, but this guy, man, there's, there's people like this out there. And, and it's scary. Yeah. It's scary. And, you know, doing this true crime podcast, I work with so many people because I'm in a hospital. And I look around and it's like, you don't know who's got these thoughts going on in their head. Yeah. The guy that might be a little slightly off and whatever. It's like, huh, man, I don't want to be alone. with Right. That guy. And I'm one of these people that I do smile and talk to people and not I don't want to be rude, you know, but yeah. Stephanie could have never known that no. such a thing. She'd never she even being, met the guy. She was being a regular person, human being saying, hey, happy Easter. A kind human being. So Stanford was evaluated by a court-appointed psychologist and found that he was filled with a deep hatred for the human race, and had this had affected his entire life. So he had actually taken the janitorial job because it allowed him to work independently, at his own pace, and with very little supervision. The isolating job was perfect for his antisocial preferences, because oftentimes he would be cleaning the school on a weekend when nobody was there. And he liked that. He didn't like to associate with other humans. 
So he, he it was discovered that Stanford loathed human contact of any kind. He would recoil from any well-meaning attempts at physical contact. He viewed most people as detestable and believed that the world would be a better place without them in it. He also indicated that the horrific attack on Stephanie had meant so little to him and had basically no impact on him that he had nearly forgotten the whole incident by the time police came looking for him. And I think that's why he handed the phone over so easily. Right. It hadn't occurred to him. It's like he went home and had that cheese sandwich and coffee. And I believe he sat there and ate it like nothing happened almost like biting your nails you know just like it just happened like it's just kind of like he you need to do it or whatever some kind of nervous tick or whatever it's just like i just needed to do it and obviously there came you know he had to get his kit i don't want to even use that no but it's just like yeah there was there was planning in that but it's just like something that it was an urge that he had released and it's like oh man feels good like getting a massage or something and then just moved on from it it's kind of like when you come into work on monday and people are like how was your weekend and you're like shoot what did i even do this weekend i don't even remember that's really what happened here he truly had almost forgotten about it when they came looking for him great analogy yeah So Stanford said that after Stephanie had gone missing and he overheard one of her colleagues talking about about the fact that it was so sad that she was coming up to her wedding day and they didn't know where she was, he had a little chuckle to himself because he had the inside joke with the knowledge that she would never be walking down the aisle with the love of her life because he knew what he had done. So he thought that this was really cute. Poor Stephanie dear man that's horrible so it was clear in speaking with the psychologist that the person that stanford hated the most in life was actually himself he often engaged in acts of self-harm in order to release the anger and the pressure that mounted inside his body did he ever tell anybody about this stuff not to my knowledge um, no any knowledge of his younger life or anything it sounded pretty uneventful yeah, not there was like not him. abuse or anything like that mentioned. Yeah. There was just like this monster inside of him. So as Stanford's background wasn't covered, it was discovered that he'd always been a very temperamental person. He would often explode into fits of rage with very little prompting. He had a tendency to stalk and harass women, but was poorly equipped to have a healthy consensual relationship. So any kind of contact he had with women was just on his own side. They had no idea what was going on. Hmm. So he often observed women from afar fantasizing about how to make them his. So it wasn't about a relationship. It was about him controlling them. That's really what his life was about. Not about being together, but owning them. Owning them. Like a, uh, yeah, whatever, like a, a, just, you know, a piece of product or something. And that, you know, comes with a low self-esteem. Like he didn't think he was capable of having a consensual relationship. He was just going to take control of it. Um, incel. Yeah, inv- involuntarily celibate. There's a lot of like guys that like just hate women. And it's like they, they blame them for not like wanting them. Mm-hmm. But it's like you're a freaking loser, man. Maybe if you had a little bit of confidence and just kind of maybe worked out a little bit and, you know, had a conversation. You know, women and human beings are not things to own. No. You, know, these, they, you have conversations. There's somebody for everybody out there, believe right. that. But it's like these, you know, there's these guys on the internet that just sit behind their keyboards and it's like, women, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, you're a loser, dude. Right. <laughs> That's why you're never going to get a woman. It's not women's fault. Exactly. So he even had admitted that he had stalked a 12 year old girl in Leeton for several months before he lost interest. He said that he had actually planned to abduct her when the time was right, but he actually thought about the repercussions of his actions and what could happen to him if he got caught. So he just tossed this idea aside. Thank goodness. Thank God. Can you imagine like any 12 year old girl in Leeton, like your parents of them being like, it could have been my daughter. It could have been my daughter. 
So there had also been two other adult victims that he had eyes on before he killed Stephanie. So, you know, he admitted that he had had his sights on people and and doing what he did to Stephanie to these other people. So while he was in jail, his twin brother Marcus came under police scrutiny. So during his confession, they kept going back to Stephanie's engagement ring. What did you do with it? He kept just kind of flippantly trying to pass it off with the fact that he just not even sure. I probably tossed it away with some of her other belongings in these garbage cans. Bullshit. He wants it as a trophy. Right. So police weren't buying that and they looked further into it. And so this is where they were tracking Marcus down. So they brought Marcus back for questioning on May 30th and detectives asked what happened to Stephanie's missing rings because two were taken so the search of the home did not come up with the rings. so police were unable to actually find these rings so through evaluating marcus's computer investigators were able to see that he had actually searched Wait, who's marcus marcus is uh vincent's twin brother oh okay yeah so marcus had searched places to sell jewelry near adelaide four days after stephanie went or actually four days after her remains were found So on June 10th, Marcus was arrested and charged with being an accessory to murder after the fact when a business card was found with his belongings that was traced to a jewelry store in Adelaide where Stephanie's rings had been pawned on May 9th for $705. Well, I mean, it's not like the most amazing or the most surprising part of this whole story, unfortunately. But a question. So I don't know if you know this or not, but are Marcus and Vincent like uh, identical twins? That they look identical. I couldn't tell the difference when I was looking at a picture of Marcus. I mean, if they're identical twins, there's a good chance that Marcus might have similar you know, problems. I will tell you, Marcus is beyond remorseful for what his actions were in this in this case. So I'll, I'll tell you more about it. And I trust me, I did think about that, too, because genetically, if they are identical, is he battling with these kinds of demons yeah i mean that's factual unless you know vincent at some point had some kind of potion that changed his brain you know i mean there's it's a real possibility but marcus has the same yeah and i'm not trying to get to onto marcus he no did, he did nothing don't. wrong that we know of yet but so. that's a legitimate question if they're identical twins does he share that kind of and thought I, i'd process? be so scared if i didn't i'd be like mm-hmm. well maybe i don't but is it going to pop up one day where i just want to yeah. murder somebody it's scary So nine months later, on March 31st, 2016, Marcus pleaded guilty to selling the rings and burning Stephanie's driver's license, but not before he took a picture of it and saved it to his phone. Marcus appeared to be sorry for his actions and repeatedly apologized for his involvement in the cover-up. He said that he had only done what he had done out of loyalty towards his twin brother. And let me stop real quick. I kind of like let Marcus off the hook a little bit, but he's also a scumbag. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, your brother killed somebody and you're going to burn that. Like, you're a piece of shit. Like, go to hell. I would agree. Go to hell. I don't care how remorseful. Like, I, I mean, maybe he shouldn't get life or you know, in prison or anything, but he should suffer for a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. So he was sentenced to 15 months in prison. Oh God, 15 months. Well, he was released in September of 2016 after serving left less than half of his sentence. As always. So Marcus is currently living with his father in a rural area from Leeton, um, far from Leeton, I should say, because he came back to the area and he said everyone was muttering under his br- or their breath about him. Well, yeah. So you look just like Vincent. So he, I, he <laughs> literally, I couldn't tell the difference. And you helped him. So mm-hmm. uh, you deserve it. So he relocated after many threats he'd received from locals. His father, Stephen, had been estranged from his twin boys much of their lives. He completely cut ties from Vincent after learning that he was responsible for Stephanie's death. So Marcus had tried to make amends and has apologized to Stephanie's family for his role. 
He indicated that if he could do it all over again, he would do it differently. He's currently caring for his father, who is in poor health and has no contact with his twin brother. Both Marcus and the father have just completely, they have no desire to speak or talk with Vincent. You know, um, Vincent's father was like, I've, we've never even had a speeding ticket. What happened in my son's brain is beyond what I can understand. That's where the family's thought process is. Yeah. So on July 20th, 2016, Vincent Stanford pleaded guilty to murder, aggravated sexual assault, and infliction of bodily harm. On November 14th, 2016, he was sentenced to life in prison for the murder, plus 15 years for aggravated rape. The deciding judge made a point to say that his lack of remorse weighed heavily on their decision. Parole is possible down the line, but legal experts agree that he will likely die in prison, and let's hope the hell that he does, because like you said, and even like Vincent said, there's something inside him that he has no control over. That day that he saw Stephanie sitting in his classroom, he knew he was going to kill her, and he said there was no going back from that thought. He couldn't have stopped himself, even if he wanted to. Yeah, and he even, like you said, he said it himself. Mm -hmm. Like, this is one of these things we're just kind of projecting. Like, this guy has it in him to do it again and will do it and has a need to do it again so please for the light like the safety of human beings right. just please keep him locked up well and if you heard our case last week about the survival story of Allison Botha you know people were absolutely baffled that her vicious crazy attackers are free roaming the world and I was interacting you know in the comments on our Instagram post that sadly I believe in my heart of hearts is that somebody is going to suffer because of that decision I guarantee somebody will I promise in unfortunately Unfortunately, I, I I hope I'm wrong. I hope we're wrong. But I promise those guys are going to kill somebody. And if this, if it, you know, stay on this one, Vincent, if he's ever let go, he will hurt somebody, kill somebody, and maybe even do worse, like to a child. Like he was right. looking he at a had his eye, a twelve-year-old. So you know, he really he needs to stay behind bars. I mean, you know, say whatever you will about the death penalty, but the, this guy, maybe his soul is okay, you know, whatever. But I mean, as a human being, his brain is damaged beyond repair. Right, and like his next door neighbors that literally shared the property line said, like they couldn't even believe. They said he was always so p- polite and nice, really? but you can't um you can't know what's going on in somebody's thoughts. Well, yeah, he's not going to be like, so um yeah, I was thinking about killing some people. You know, he's not going to say no, that. No, of course he's not. We, we all fake it, you know, enough, you know. Well, sure. It's just like you put on a happy when face. somebody says, good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Right. It's like, well, actually, I'm having a pretty shitty day, but I'm not going to say that. Right. You know, we, we all hide. We, we live with a mask in front of ourselves to some degree. So in order to protect Stanford from his fellow inmates, he is allowed to shower alone to avoid contact. He eats his meals away from others. We know that he does not gel with the human race. Why not just let him gel? I don't know. <laughs> I don't happens, know right? why we're accommodating this lunatic. I guess because of humanity, you can't just let people like just beat the crap out of somebody. Well, I, I mean, don't it know. Happens. It does. It should. So on Saturday, April 11th, 2015, on what should have been Stephanie and Aaron's wedding day, her family held a celebration of life in a local park. Guests all wore yellow in honor of Stephanie's favorite sunny color, and the entire community was invited to be part of the laughter and joy to honor the young woman who brought so much happiness wherever she went. Stephanie's dad, Bob, spoke, and he said that he wanted his daughter to be remembered for the great girl that she was, not the tragic way that she had died. In an absolutely horrible twist of fate, only three weeks after Vincent Stanford was sentenced, 
On October 31st, 2016, Stephanie's father, who was 59 years old, was killed in a freak accident at the family's country home when he was struck by a falling tree. Wow. So he was out there doing some tree clearing. And, you know, the family made a statement when Vincent was sentenced that they just want to put this tragedy and this horrible situation behind them so that they can start living their life and laughing again. And then this horrible thing happened to the family. And my heart just breaks for them. Yeah, sad. Because many felt that Stephanie's death could have been prevented, a civil lawsuit was filed against the NSW Education Department, as well as a third-party agency that actually hired Stanford. It was absolutely not for financial gain, but to ensure that you know, other people remain safe. She should have been able to do her work and come home and have Easter dinner with her loved ones, but she she didn't. No, and um, like that's what we brought up. Where it's like, you know, was there a background check? I'd like to know what they think could have you know helped here. I, I maybe having more people in the building, like not allowing people to come in unless there's a certain amount of people. Like right. that's the only thing I can think of from now. It's like you absolutely cannot work by yourself. You need to bring at least two other people. You, you know, know what's kind of sad and scary though is we did another case about a teacher who was killed while she was on school property and there were a lot of other people in the building when it happened. Yeah, that's not going to prevent it. I guess just anything you can think of, I don't know, you know, maybe upgraded security cameras, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, uh, in that that tech school had awesome security cameras and she died. So that was Colleen Ritzer, by the way, um, that I'm referring right. to. So you just you just never know that that camera or that school had been completely revamped. There were security cameras everywhere. And she died. So, you you know, I know what you're saying. Surround yourself with more people. You're less likely to put yourself at risk. But, you know, basically what was indicated is that they don't want other people to pose a threat to others that, you know, they're just sliding under the radar. So the case was settled in 2021, but the details were not released to the public. School representatives indicated that the criminal background check was done on Stanford. It came back clean because he did nothing before that they did agree to adhere to more stringent guidelines for future hires but in his case there wouldn't have been anything that had come back he had never done anything well, that's why i just like what were they looking for like i what, don't know yeah. so in 2022 aaron announced that he had found love again and he was engaged to be married to a woman named samantha and that's great you know because obviously he was devastated that what he thought was going to be his life moving forward with Stephanie just was taken away. Of course. So Stephanie was described as bubbly, bright, witty, intelligent. She was a fun-loving girl. Her father, Bob, when he spoke at her celebration of life, he said that she had obviously impacted the life of so many people who had shown up that day. He hoped that his daughter would remain on the minds of those who knew and loved her, and he wanted her to be remembered as the amazing girl that she was. And that, sadly and tragically, is the story of the murder of Stephanie Scott. Ugh, man, two, yeah, I, the last two episodes just kind of, I mean, really, really hit you. They all do, of course. They you know, all do. But it's just uh, sad stuff, man. Like, Stephanie did nothing wrong whatsoever. Just being sweet and kind and super looking forward to things. And then her life was taken away by this demented guy that really had, 
unfortunately, no control over right. himself, and it seems like. I mean, we all have control to a certain extent, but it certainly seemed like he couldn't control and, it. And, you know, it's just one of those horrible things that nobody could have anticipated. There was nothing she could have done to have stopped this. It's something I would have done. I'm one of those people that are always preparing ahead, almost to a fault, because I think, like, I'm not really enjoying the present moment because I'm preparing for the future. This was something I would have done. If you would have been out of town, I'd be like, oh, I have the handful of hours to myself. What can I accomplish in that time? Right. And that's what Stephanie was doing that day. Yeah. That's so sad. And there was nothing she could have done. There was no way of knowing what was going to happen. She did nothing wrong. No. Yep. And it's just scary to know that there are psychopaths out there just walking among us. Well, hopefully Vincent Stanford stays in jail and prison and whatever forever. And hopefully Marcus stays to himself in wherever place he is with his dad. And hopefully there's no thoughts like that happening in his head. Yeah. I mean, if they're identical twins, there's a good chance. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, Well, well, thank you so much for telling her story. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate you. And uh, if you want to become a patron, go ahead and, you know, you're interested in a lot these stories that we're telling there's even more episodes available on patreon uh patreon and want to welcome the newest member of the crime and coffee couple club uh maria so thank you so much maria maria um yes we appreciate you guys so much um again anytime we get a new patron i'm basically jumping for joy which you know physically and emotionally isn't often you know i'm not a very excitable person or am i i don't know no not at all i mean (laughs) if anything you're you're boring well like you mentioned you're always looking for the next thing to do it's like okay well this needs to be done and this needs to be done. yeah it's true no i'm just kidding that's my mind does race a lot i wouldn't be with you if you weren't a joyful person i do have to admit that we appreciate the heck out of you guys so much we appreciate everything you guys do for us for you listening being here supporting us and from the bottom of our bottom of our hearts allison wants to make this thing into her full-time job don't tell her current job but yes just we'll keep that on the download (laughs) not that i don't enjoy being a dietitian because i do did you say on the download no, down low. I don't know. I just want to make sure you said the right thing because, you know, there's kids listening and they don't, you know. What it was that from um, Meet the Parents? He's like, keep it on the low down. He's like, down low. And no he goes, doubt. no doubt. <laughs> but was that, what was that? Ben Stiller from yeah. Meet the Parents. Was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening. And uh, until next time. <gasps> Bye. Bye.